0: Ryan, thank you so much for coming to speak with us on the Resolve podcast.
1: No, thank you for having me, Noah. Um, I really appreciated our chat and getting to know you virtually over the last little bit. So looking forward to jumping on the other side of the microphone and chatting.
0: Yeah, I think that there's a, we're not gonna be talking about this topic in our meeting, but what I really find so meaningful, helpful uh, in my interactions with Ryan was, I kind of follow the lead. If I meet somebody, that I appreciate their time. I ask them if there's anybody else that they intentionally think I should speak to that could be helpful, especially when you're networking. you 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 kind of follow follow the dominoes. Of course, you don't need to meet with hundreds of people and and have too many meetings. That's a different discussion. but but Ryan was really generous to I had a meeting with Ryan. I got connected with Ryan through somebody else that I had met, and Ryan gave me a recommendation to a whole community of mental health advocates that some of which you'll hear on other podcasts that I'm, that I'm doing. So it's just a a little short note about paying it forward. If you think people that could connect together could get along and make something meaningful, it's really, it's really helpful to do that. So thank you, Ryan.
1: Yeah, no problem. Um, I think with the mental health community, especially when we're dealing with policy and we're dealing with trying to create sort of this better resources for people all across the country. I think it's just great for all of us who are kind of, I know you do it, professionally but also in a community capacity how we can all get together and work together and find different solutions to help our peers our colleagues our family members our partners and just create a better mental health space while we keep pushing for more policy changes and better resources from our government officials
0: for sure so so tell us a little bit about yourself
1: Well, I mean, I'll give you the Coles notes. We can kind of go into anything you'd like to go. But uh, the way I sort of lay out my, I guess, my Twitter bio, uh, I'm an award winning mental health advocate and speaker. I've been advocating mostly on social media since 2015. And I've been speaking about it. Since 2018 is when I really started it, and it's kind of accelerated, especially through this pandemic. I am an unsinkable community champion, which is who I connected you with, uh, and a a number of individuals from that organization who do the same type of work that I do in advocacy and speaking and everything like that. Uh, What pays the bills? I work in radio. Um, So I make uh, radio contests and events and marketing and and all sorts of uh, different things. Uh, I'm from Ottawa, uh, I grew up in a small town, just uh, a little bit out here, um, 20 minutes outside of Ottawa, so I've basically been here my entire life, um, and uh, I don't know, a little bit more, I love music, uh, play sports, I'm a big hockey guy, uh, played hockey all my life, playing goalie, uh, and just really passionate about growing our community and helping people, and uh, particularly with mental health and lived experience, uh, that's kind of been, became my niche over the last couple of years. And one thing that strikes
0: me about your introducing yourself is that you're from Ottawa but apparently you were like the Detroit Red Wings is that
1: <laughs> is that true that is it, true and I get the question a lot well what's someone from Ottawa liking Detroit I, I don't even know i I just that that became my team I think it has something to do with the red hair
0: I, I don't know I think it well Ottawa's also red though i I think hmm? it's I think it's un, I think it's a weird a weird I always have a strong reaction When somebody lives in a town or a city and they're a fan of another team, it doesn't sit well with me. So in the NFL, (laughs) I'm an Eagles fan, but we kind of adopt a team because we don't have a football team and that's very socially acceptable. But if you were born and raised in Ottawa and you just decided, I don't feel like being an Ottawa fan, I'm going to be a Detroit fan, there's something about that that doesn't sit well with me.
1: I think when I was a little kid and started to – I guess, learn about the game and, and learn about hockey and, and take that all in. Uh, Detroit was really good at the time and uh, sort of in my formative years, when you start becoming more, you know, cognitive and aware of reality, they were winning two Stanley Cups. So I think subconsciously without me even realizing it, that had something to do with it. And then I just, I don't know. I just, that was my team. I, I can't even think of the moment that I was like, go Detroit. It just, it just happened.
0: <laughs> okay, fine. Fair enough. Is there anybody else in the whole city that you know that also sh- shares the, this with you?
1: Oh, yeah. I went to a game on uh, Sunday, and uh, I would say 40% were Red Wings fans.
0: That's interesting. Um,
1: that's the funny thing about Ottawa because it's a new team. They're only around since 1992, so a long time now, but in the grand scheme of things. And so there's Ottawa's a funny market where there's a lot of people who cheer for other teams because, like you said, by necessity, a lot of the older generation didn't have an Ottawa team to cheer for, so you have a lot of Leaf fans, a lot of Habs fans, and I guess being not brought up by sense fans, you kind of pick another team, I guess, or or you're not as familiar. So I think more so now, younger kids are growing up as Ottawa fans. But that's true. If the Leafs,
0: Toronto had a team for football, I would not change. I would not be a Toronto football fan. Yeah, you you've already. I, yeah,
1: I, wouldn't, your I wouldn't be interested.
0: So that that that's a bit of a that's a bit of a good alibi for you because Ottawa not an original six team. And and so, but we're going to move on from hockey. <laughs> there are a lot of hockey podcasts I don't listen to, but Ryan, there's a particular topic that I want to get into with you today. I want to hear about your experience with it, et cetera, et cetera, which is about just, I, I don't know, for lack of a better word, being a healthy man relating to masculinity in a healthy way. Tell us a little bit about how you got interested in this topic.
1: Yeah, that is a long story, but I'll, I'll kind of shorten it up a little bit. Obviously speaking about mental health and uh, mental illness and dealing with mental illness, um, depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal ideation. When I started talking about it, I guess that in and of itself is a little bit of a healthier version of masculinity, right? I'm becoming more vulnerable. I'm opening up to people. I'm, you know, not afraid to go to therapy um, and, you know, creating like a online brand that is about mental health so that in it of itself is a, just a difference what you traditionally see for men right we're, we're taught to be uh, strong and leaders and that any display of weakness is sort of is going to be a negative experience for us because we're supposed to hold it all in and be the strong one put everybody on our backs that's the way it's traditionally been done uh, the the version of when i started to transition well, let's even just
0: slow that down a okay little bit. There's a lot there, I think, this part of it. Um, I mean, do you want to finish your whole point first, or do you want to tell us a little bit more about this? Uh, I'm really wondering about, I guess you can tell us how you started getting into the advocacy itself and how you might have struggled with your identity as a male being so caught up in something else that maybe isn't healthy. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, speaking of hockey, actually, which is really interesting, um, when we look at sports, and uh, again, traditionally, right, that was kind of like a male space, and more specifically, a white male space. And so, growing up playing competitive hockey, it was a very misogynistic type of environment with like alpha alpha males, those those men that kind of like try to stand above the rest of the men and show that they're the kind of like the dominant ones. Um, it's very, it was like a very, you know, I I I am not sure on the format here, but like, you know, it was a kind of like a hypersexual environment, to be honest, in the locker room, like things that went on that would now be known as you know, sexual assault or or harassment.
0: Like things in the um, shower and just yeah, exactly. Commenting on people's exact you know, private parts and like hitting people
1: on the butt or stuff, yeah. stuff like that. Exactly. And you know, as you got older and into like even more competitive, like junior spaces and, you know, into higher levels. Um, you, you probably are familiar with like hazing stories of just really violent, sort of disgusting acts that was somehow supposed to make you a member of the team. Anyways, all that to say that's the type of environment I grew up in and it was never something comfortable for me, but at the same time, you're too afraid to speak up or you're too afraid to kind of stand out of the team for fear of being ostracized or bullied and and that type of thing. So uh, growing up in that, I was already sort of like an internal outcast. And then when I started to speak about mental health, I never really had a trouble with my identity specifically as a man. I was always really comfortable with myself and speaking up and sort of, you know, treating people with respect. What it was is seeing how other people interact like this and, You know, maybe they're more afraid to open up for fear of the same thing that I was afraid of, bullying or sort of being pointed out as weak or, you know, bullying, all that type of stuff. So what I what I found is, especially over this pandemic, I was really, really struggling with the transition to working from home, um, not seeing anybody. uh, And then I went through a breakup as well from a a longer term relationship. So I was sort of at this bottom of the barrel uh, in terms of my mental health. And what I found is embracing things that brought me joy and some of those things were, again, not traditionally masculine. So we're talking about things like singing and dancing or musicals or, you know, uh, even as far as hanging out with women in a non sort of dating, you know, sexual capacity, just really as platonic friends. Those were the things that were bringing me joy. And those were the things that helped me get out of this really negative space. So I, I was already starting to have this idea. I was like, wow, I'm feeling good embracing these parts of my personality that I guess would, you know, people would name names and, and treat it as a, in a very derogative negative, negative space. Then, if you're familiar, Harry Styles uh, had that, I think it was the Vanity Fair or Vogue he, he did a cover shoot in a dress and the internet sort of like went off. Oh, there's not any real men anymore. Um, you know, men are turning into women, like all this, like just ridiculous talk from men and women alike. And, you know, especially on conservative spaces, like they were really like upset by this. And I was just, I thought to myself, I was like, you know what? Harry Styles is like, he's an icon. Um, he could, Get anybody who he wants. He's, you know, famous, uh, revered. People want to be him, people want to be around him. And he's comfortable enough to do this. And so I related that back to my own life and how I sort of overcame some things to really feel myself and embrace who I am. And I came up with this idea of, you know, a healthier version of masculinity when all that really means is just sort of embracing those things that are authentic to you and not really caring about what other people think about that sort of thing whatever that is and the other message i also relate to that is is you don't like have to like musicals or you don't have to like singing or dancing you can like whatever you like that's the point but what we need to do especially as men is recognize and when we talk about toxic masculinity you know what is that it's when the things that kind of you do as a man or that relates to traditional masculinity leads to either harming yourself or harming people around you. So it's okay to, you know, if you want to be in the grind game, as, as they say on the internet, you know, like, wake up at 6am, go to the gym and work all day. I am not saying that is a bad thing if that is what you choose to want to do. But you need to recognize. When that is harmful to either yourself and your own mental health, or you start harming people around you. Um, Same thing uh, with like, you know, dating or misogynistic behavior, right? It is okay to date. It's okay to flirt with women. It's okay to love women. But are you harming them? Is the way you're approaching this uh, sort of interaction, is that harming them? Is it harming yourself? That's what I mean by. Toxic masculinity and then healthier masculinity is when you've sort of done that internal work on yourself to just become an emotional, uh, a healthier emotional version of yourself, a mental version of yourself. And then you're also becoming more empathetic and cognizant of how your actions and your behavior is affecting those around you. So that's kind of like the whole thing of how I got to this point.
0: It's just, I think the word that comes to mind for me when you're talking about this is flexibility and the op- opportunities for self-expression whether and and this is i think a really important distinction is that the difference between calling the the the, the masculine or males as a species whatever you want to i don't even know how we would ident- talk about this but males as a as a an i whatever it is that males are toxic um and and that the difficulties that can come with especially young people thinking about that, like a a young male thinking, oh, my toxic versus males do a lot of toxic things and people do a lot of toxic things and females do a lot of toxic things and there's toxic elements within the stereotypical quote unquote male behavior. And those things are not just acceptable because that's just what boys do or whatever you want to call it. It's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. and it's not acceptable to treat people a certain way whether it's to other males as you were talking about in the locker room it's a really tough environment hockey it's a lot of sports in general it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of and 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 they're not based on nothing it's it's deep rooted stuff about being at being at the top and having security at the top and being a leader there's a lot of elements within the masculinity about leadership and initiative and things like that that can be elevated to very high levels. But you saw these really repressed stuff is, continues to be. Mm-hmm. Hockey's a real example where more recently there's been coming out, you know, the p- hockey player in Chicago, um, just the, the issues and the, the 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 abuse and the sexual and physical. There's a lot of issues. And, and when you grow up and that's the only message you get, it's inflexible. It's If you wanna be a male, you have to say, like X, act like X, think like mm. X and be like X or else it's not, it's not the real deal or you're not true or authentic. And that can be very inauthentic because, mm-hmm. as, for example, you just shared how much you love musicals. So what? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, I'm in a particular field, for example, as a psychotherapist where 90 plus many, many people are female. There, there there's, it's a, it's a female dominated industry, mm-hmm. just like there are certain industries that are male dominant, but I embrace my personality and all traits and qualities within me, whether they're quote unquote feminine or masculine. And it seems like it's this inflexibility of the messaging that has become so toxic or it has been so toxic.
1: I mean, that's, we're in the system of the patriarchy, right? And everything is sort of also rooted in misogyny where we're, whether it's consciously or subconsciously where especially men are thinking that men are, are above women um, and above other sort of genders and other groups of people, right? Like that is sort of the way we're brought up. I, I'm not as familiar as how kids are, are growing up now. I think it is a lot more open and they're a lot more accepting when it comes to, you know, trans people or non-binary folks coming out or other sort of identities in school I think that I think we've made some progress but you know I didn't grow up that long ago I'm turning 30 this year so it was 10 years ago I graduated from high school like we didn't have we we had like two gay people in the entire school that I knew Um, and so a lot of us and then as you get a little bit older it was even less and less we, we just grew up around sort of like other white people who are exactly like us, no exposure to diversity, um, no exposure to any sorts of different ideas. And especially if you grew up like me in a small town, which was very conservative, it's it's hard to break that cycle until you sort of get out and see the world. And so when we're talking about growing up and, and being in this this culture, you know, a lot of people are learning this stuff in their most formative years. And so it, that's why it's so important to me to reach out to younger people and, and let them explore these ideas um, because we can't be growing up and then and thinking this is the right way to do things when it's clear there's so much evidence historically and in and, and legal terms of how much, so, like the ideas that make things toxic You think about uh, rape culture in universities and post-secondary education. Um, Like you mentioned in hockey uh, or in the military, we're seeing all these allegations of sexual assault and inappropriate conduct because men are thinking that they are above women in the the hierarchy of of where we are. And that doesn't have to be overt. That can just be little subconscious behaviors um, that we experience every day, or as some other people might say, microaggressions. And so it's really important for us to be aware externally and where that comes from is doing that work internally, embracing emotional and mental well-being, talking about your mental health and trying to figure out the things, you know, that someone like yourself would be helping with. Um, The the deep-seated insecurities that we have, the confusion, the, you know, whether it's mental illness, um, for so long men never talked about that. We were just, we would go on, be strong, bury that deep. Uh, your family needs you. Your friends need you. Like that was what we were taught. And so now it's incredibly hard to break the mold. We're doing it, but it's just very slow because we have so much resistance in our own lives and, and systemically as well.
0: And, and, and there's a way I, I think to integrate and to be sort of quote unquote heroic wanting to, 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 take care, be a caregiver mm-hmm. towards other people while also embracing vulnerability. And I think that the, the, getting to this this middle ground, this place of balance uh, in personality, I think will be really, really helpful for, and in, in, in the more we have emotional intelligence embedded into the system where it's very normal to talk about your feelings, what you're feeling and why, so that there's not a lot of repressed expression uh, that reveals themselves in all these kind of negative ways. I, I want to ask you about, so, so the way that you're describing it here, it, there, it's it's hopeful. It's, it seems hopeful. It seems that there's opportunities to 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 improve and to mend. I want to ask you about, from my experience, in, you know, we talked about the microaggressions, and I work a lot with people uh, in mental health that, that have thoughts, intrusive thoughts, ideas about themselves, feelings about themselves that feel really alien, and but they bother them because it's like, why should, why would I have that thought if I wasn't that thing? There's a lot of fusing with your thoughts as if they are who you are. And I, I'm concerned about when we get into the micro part of this, the microaggressions, my struggle with that is that if you implant in someone's head that they are subconsciously, let's say, toxic in some way by being a male or something like that, whatever it is, if that seeps into my brain then all of a sudden i'm having these thoughts and i see people have automatic thoughts around around women or automatic thoughts around certain people that i can't control and then i internalize that and think i'm a bit of a monster um so how do we differentiate between people that might have intrusive thoughts about let's say a, a gender a race an ethnicity because that there's a natural part of that that we all experience when you see someone if we saw someone on the street that was dressed in green our brain, or had a green colored skin, our brain would automatically create all sorts of associations. It has to do that to protect itself in some way from who, who are these people? I don't know them. I don't have data. I don't understand. I'm confused, etc. So I'm concerned about how, you know, on an explicit level, it's really easy to say, okay, guys, men, don't do these things in the locker room. You know, talk to each other in a respectful way talk to women in a respectful way learn about what it means to get proper consent be the kind of person that is healthy for other people around you and for yourself but this the lower the underbelly of subconscious drives you could implant ideas about people you're automatically talk you're you're, you're automatically this you're automatically that you're automatically racist you're automatic. and i have concerns about that for the mental health level cuz i work with people that have thoughts, for example, that they are m- murderous because they have thoughts of hurting somebody. And I say, no way, your thoughts do not define who you are. Even if you have a, a, an intrusive thought with a strong bodily sensation, you don't need to identify and you're never gonna act on that. So how do we differentiate between the subconscious that is filled with ambiguity and difficulty versus the conscious
1: behaviors that are not healthy to do? I love that you brought that up because I think that is literally what we're seeing right now when we talk about the world becoming sort of polarized. I, I can lead to an example, and this is something we sort of like went off in a tangent in one of our initial conversations, but um, there was a point for me, it was around the height of the Me Too movement, right, where you're, you're seeing, you know, all men are trash, men are toxic, kill all men, like sort of like these really aggressive Slogans or themes that people were were talking, and I get it. People were were mad. People were, you know, sort of letting their trauma and their own internal dialogue sort of like leach out onto social media, and I internalized that very heavily. And so, what I was doing was now seeking validation from another source, which might be a little bit more nefarious, or lead me down a path that might explore a little bit more of you know, um, conservative or, or right-wing sort of idealism and then potentially down to the, the alt-right uh, in cell culture. And I think, unfortunately, that is what's happening with some men. And some might say a significant amount of men because they're being alienated on social media, but then they're experiencing validation and um, acceptance into who they are by people And then, you know, either them themselves, the the people who are broadcasting this message or social media starts to push you down with the algorithm and sorts of recommendations that they start, you know, that's a whole other big conversation there. But I believe that is happening to a lot of men, because we're internalizing this message that we're toxic, and we are a problem, and it can be very difficult. So... When I talk about doing that internal work, so these people who are coming to you expressing their their thoughts, I mean that's what we have to do because we, like you said, we can't control the thoughts. You know, I have thoughts all the time, um, and you kind of have to like sit with it and check yourself. Ooh, okay, like I know this kind of thought might be a little bit misogynistic, or this thought, you know, ooh, might be a little bit, you know, considered racist on some circles. What I think is the most important part, especially for young people. Social media is not the place to be having this conversation or asking questions or sort of trying to develop this, this brand personality, persona about yourself. Because, you know, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of unchecked people releasing that information who haven't done any work. There's no information. It might not be scientifically even based. It's just a personal opinion. But yet we see that on our screen and we're like, you are talking about me. They're talking about me and I hate that. Now I'm going to comment on it and you get all mad. And, you know, I think what's important is be aware of what the cultural conversations are, you know, but then do that internal work, talk to a therapist and talk with people you trust and friends and family or your therapist about the thoughts that you're having when it comes to this being like, you know, I saw this thing and it was like, you know, all men are rapists and, you know, we should get rid of them all. Ha ha ha. And, you know, it made me really angry. And then, you know, you can start to dissect that. Why'd that make you angry? Well, have you done anything to anybody? No. So then you're really not the issue and they're not talking to you, right? You can start to have a healthier perspective and then you might be able to start to say to yourself when you see something like that, being like, oh, like this person's trying to be funny or make a joke or, oh, this person is just speaking on their anecdotal experience. It doesn't relate to me. I don't have to get mad at that. You know, it's just, it's just them talking and it, it is not a reflection upon me. We we can't do that on social media um, or it's really difficult to, because it's just, there's a lot of people with like too much of their own personal opinions and personal experiences who might be commenting or making videos or, you know, resharing things. It's just, it's, unfortunately, it's not the place right now, and particularly for men to, find that so what you need to do is find very positive role models whether that be somebody you know someone you're a podcast or an author like somebody that you can look up to being like look people respect them people like they're doing good work we see it and i'm going to implement those sort of ideals into my in my own life and i'm going to work on myself I'm going to be much more accepting. I'm going to not react with anger. I'm going to work on the issues and the thoughts that I do have. So when those thoughts start to creep in, you can be like, okay, you know just a thought uh, you know, you can sit with it, recognize it, and then be like, that's not me Uh, move on or be like, why am I thinking about that? And then, you know, you can just deal with it at a much healthier way, because I think the problem is, and what you were kind of saying is when we think about those things and we might like lash out in a way, not necessarily do the act, but we start to, like you said, internalize that. And then we become very angry and then, you know, we're, we're, we're just not, um, interacting with the material in ways that we should be, or very healthy to other people or ourselves. So that's why I just believe it's so important as, especially as men to do that work sort of on our own. Off the apps, uh, and and that way we can engage with it in a better way. I think that
0: there's an, a broader issue that's coming up. I, I think in this conversation is that there's like radical messaging that is very all or nothing thinking, and is not based on a nuanced approach to, to human beings. And though those messages are always loud and and, and high octave, and so people people latch on to that. I think that what's happening in our spaces right now is that there's a hyper focus on very external superficial identity markers. So it could be something like, I am a liberal. I am a conservative. I like Ezra Klein. I like Ben Shapiro. I like this person. I like that person. I'm white. I'm black. I'm Asian. I'm, you know, any all sorts of things that are on the external appearance that you can see or or know about it's not like a badge it's like the first level or first layer of identity and for many people very very important parts of the identity but what i find really hard to do that i do in person is that i meet people from the intersection of their identities they might have x y b z and other someone else might have x b Oh, And those people end up being super, super similar the more you get to know them. And the deeper you get to know anybody, you go way below the surface. You don't just see them. Oh, they're a male. They're um, a South Asian male. They're a white male. They're a black male. They're this. They're they're They are a you know, there could be a transgendered. um, Black. Trump. Or conservative and i will wouldn't even want to equate the two you 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 don't even know when you get to know people you have no idea who they are we do these short-circuited judgments to make reality simpler and i think that the problem in our social media space especially when it comes around the i even the idea that we came back to at the beginning of toxic masculinity is it's it's like this is your label this is who you are and no one's talking to each other there's no names and there's no faces and so once you get to sit down in a room and talk to somebody who thinks differently, looks differently, sees the world differently than you, 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 you learn about the deeper dimensions of who they are you, and you also realize the similarities. That's what I'm concerned about um, right now on the online
1: space. And I'm wondering what you think about that. Going right back to the very first thing we were talking about, which seemingly didn't relate to any of this in hockey and teams. Um, we're tribal by nature. We like belonging. And I think in a world of social media where we're trying to get likes, we're trying to get views. um, We are trying to find our sense of belonging in this world. And especially over this pandemic where we maybe were isolated and we couldn't go out to see our friends or do these things. We were looking for community and social interactions with people who are just like us. And so we do a lot of people, especially younger people cling to sort of identities, and then other people, like you said, will box us into identities based on our appearance. And that goes for the the masculinity thing, right? Oh, you see a white man, he probably likes X, Y, Z. And it's like, no, it's much more nuanced than that. And that's what I'm trying to explain to men that you can like these things and you don't have to like these things and you can just be whoever you want. And so much of that online interaction with social media lacks the nuance lacks the context that we need because humans are so multifaceted and i agree i'm very concerned that young people are growing up feeling like they have to become boxed in into sort of their interests and what they you know again a lot of it comes back to either their gender identity sexual orientation um their race and culture or political identification and when people step outside of that box people get really uncomfortable with that like what do you mean you're a black conservative that like right like and then you have all sort of infighting and that's why like I kind of like the idea of um, intersectionality which is kind of like the defining features about how sort of where you identify and how that interacts with other sort of identities and how you know it kind of like one oppresses the other but it's a lot more complex because like you said you could be a black trans conservative you could be uh, you know uh, a gay white liberal like whatever sort of is like just because you're this doesn't mean you're that and we perceive it as well wouldn't it just make sense that you're this because of you know xyz and what we know and so that's why it's so important to talk to people social media and be, media, vulnerable, and be yes, vulnerable social media is a very um over sensationalized version of real life um like you like it's there's elements of what it is, but the things that are going viral are going viral because they're either extremely sort of problematic, they're extremely like a very like hot sort of take on something where people are commenting because they either agree or they don't agree and that's sort of driving it, or it's very salacious. And we, we start to believe that that's what everyone thinks like. And what I'm sure you've experienced doing your job, but also the podcast and what I've experienced doing the podcast, which has profoundly changed me, um, people aren't like that. And they're actually quite willing to talk about sort of these things in a non-confrontational, very empathetic human way. I remember speaking with um, my friend, uh, Carrington Christmas, who is an Indigenous advocate, and she's um, half Black, half uh, Indigenous. And I, I, at the time when we were speaking was like having trouble identifying like white privilege and what that meant. And like, so I asked them about it and, and we were just chatting about it and she put it in a way that I was like, oh, like I really see the human side of it now. Okay. It's starting to make sense to me. And we miss that part on social media. That's one of the biggest things we miss that human connection about it. We don't apply you know, the empathy and the experience that this person's going through. We just see them on a screen and we become sort of dehumanized and desensitized to it. And that's one of the biggest things. And don't get me wrong, there's wonderful things about social media that, that have, have, has come from us using these platforms. Um, voices being heard, it's no longer stories or experiences being gatekeeped by larger media. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And in of itself, social media is neutral. It is neither good nor bad. It it's the human behavior that drives it. And I think that's what we're seeing. And it's all happened sort of so fast in the progression from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram to now TikTok. Like we're just, most of us aren't like at the place in our own lives where we're able to sort of interact with all this stuff in a, in a healthy way because it just is sort of everything all of the time we become burnt out and we just become sort of apathetic to it or worse resistant to it. And that's what we're sort of seeing. And if it like, if it were up to me, I'd be like, well, everyone, let's just take one giant leap back for a minute. Reset. Let's like, all have like a big group session being like, Hey, like, you know, I didn't like when you said that, like, <laughs> like that's, it'll never happen, but like, that's what we almost need to do individually It's like step back and be like, okay, take a big deep breath and let's, let's try to like engage with this in a much healthier way because social media isn't going to be the answer. Um, it's great for information, but it's not great at solutions. And uh, right now you have a lot of information with very few solutions. And I think that's where we need to sort of shift a lot of our perspective to. because right now we're creating a lot of issues and things seem to be spiraling out of control in some ways. Uh, and that's not helping anybody at this point. So I mean that's that's kind of my thoughts about it, and weirdly enough, I think about it way too much than I probably should have. So,
0: well, that's it's cooling. It's cooling the temperature. Uh, it's uh, when we get to meet people, and you know, young people, especially in university, uh, defining themselves for the first time, making big decisions as to where they want to go and what they want to do. The human element of all of this needs to stay very, very, very strong. We've been, a lot of people have been locked locked in, hiding, in, 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 socializing in different spaces. It's really, I can't imagine what the pandemic would have been like without, you know, all the m- social media that we do have and the communication tools that we do have. But coming back to reality, human beings talking to each other, asking questions, challenging, saying difficult things, someone saying like, for example, In social media, what happens if someone says all males are evil, you can't you can go like this and get get angry about how ridiculous of a statement that that is, but you can't really talk. Whereas Mm -hmm. if and and most people wouldn't say that in person. But if someone says if you're in a conversation with someone and they say all males are toxic or something like that, I I can have a conversation. I can actually and I'm not going to be worried about saying something wrong or offensive, I'm just going to say, tell me, first of all, ask them, tell me more what you mean by that. So I want to understand their perspective. Tell me about what that means. And, and then I hear it. And if there's valid points, I can acknowledge the valid points and then say, here's why I completely disagree with you. And I think, yes, I think you're wrong or I think you're right about this. And these kind of conversations, you just cannot have them on the space. They're not possible. It's not possible. So for example, if you hear that someone's, um, a Trump supporter or you year that someone is a, you know, a, um, I don't, I don't know something on the uh, uh, no, more of an opposite end of the spectrum or thinks Trump's the worst person ever. Someone likes Trump, someone hates Trump. I think Trump's very interesting because I look at him as sort of a, you see what you want to so many parts of it. It's like, you see what, it's mm-hmm. like a Rorschach. You see what you want to see. Um, there are obviously tons of things you can agree and disagree about on particular levels, but as an entity, it's almost like you see what, where where you want it's a reflection your feelings about that person at that time were like a reflection of like so many other things in your life and i just found that that part of it on the psychological level was just wild to see mm-hmm. to just see what how how that the impact of that but you can actually ask people and talk to them why do you why do you not what, what why do you not like about that man tell me tell me the parts that really bother you you said you hate this person Tell me about that. You say you like this person. Tell me about that. Why do you like him? What about this thing that they that he said or that thing the, the, you don't do that when you're on social media? It's this person is this. This person is that. And mm-hmm. so I wonder if the, some of the solutions, you know, for young people right now is to broaden and have longer conversation. TikToks is about 10 seconds, mm-hmm. you know, and you can't say anything other than something loud. Twitter is like 200 characters. It's like, you gotta, I, I think there was a, there's a, a doctor that recently left, his name is Dog. He's um, sort of, he calls himself an alt middle in the COVID conversation. <laughs> so he differentiates between COVIDiots and COVIDians. COVIDiots being people that are like COVID deniers and COVIDians being people that are saying like, never leave your house, two year olds have to wear four masks or something like that, just like really ex- perspectives on like far ends of the spectrum. Um, and he's considered himself like an alt middle perspective on this. And he said he had to leave Twitter because he, he couldn't handle trying to express himself in that short of a words, knowing that it's really the inflammatory, the more inflammatory you are, the more it's flashy, the more it's popular and there wasn't an ability to have long form conversations. Mm -hmm. But that's, what's so interesting at the same time, Ryan, that there's these long forming conversations that are happening as well on podcasts and on YouTube. So there's sort of like this dichotomy between extremely fast communications and then extremely like much slower. Um, And I think that that's really interesting why people like long form is maybe because you just break down walls in the process. I don't know.
1: That's why I created my podcast. I work in traditional media. Um, Try getting someone on a couch and being like, explain racism in five minutes, what (laughs) it means to you. Like, oh, uh, uh, like what? Like, okay, like um, you need sort of time to dissect and and bring context and nuance to the conversation like you said where we want everything to be so black and white and one-dimensional we have trouble with the idea that good people can do bad things and bad people can do good things and what does that all mean you know in the broader sense like are they an awful person are they a good person like it's it's not as simple as just yes or no it it, it, you really got to sort of think about it and you can come on either end of the conversation but it's, it's the, it's the getting there. It's the thinking about, it. it's the processing of everything that's kind of happened. And, you know, speaking of the person who left Twitter, you know, I've been on, I've been off social media relatively with a few, a little, a few exceptions, but you know, I've just, I found myself so burnt out that I don't even want to participate. Um, just everything that's happening in the world, all the conversations, everybody's opinion all of the time. I was just like, I can't right now you know i have compassion fatigue i'm i'm just so burnt out on listening to you um and what i love about long form content creating my own or listening is that you know even if i may disagree and even if i really disagree i kind of want to hear what you're saying how did you get to that sort of conclusion what what was your experience in life that led you to this this thought pattern you know curiosity um gets the better of me every time. I want to know. I want to know why you're a member of the KKK. What happened to you that led you to there? And I leave that conversation being like, I don't like them. And I think they're not a very good person. But now I see, okay, they had a really bad childhood. They were abused by their parents. Um, Something traumatic happened and they didn't receive the help, right? Like there's, there's kind of like a story behind everything, especially when you get to a very polarized end of the, the spectrum, uh, the political spectrum, left or right, it's usually you become radicalized based on some form of trauma or very, uh, ex- like, huge part of your life that was, like, sort of a point that just now all of your perspective is shifted into this mentality. And that plays out on social media every day. It's people with a lot of traumatic experiences who are now expressing their opinion based on their now anecdotal experience of life and that's where we run into the problem of of where we kind of are and I I, I I love that idea of radical uh middle or, or whatever alt-middle. it was the alt middle um you know i I consider myself I am much more left or liberal um than center um but I can have conversations with Conservative people or people more on the right. Part of that is because of my, you know, I'm a white man. You know, I'm not really concerned about safety, so you know, I can have those conversations. That's a whole other topic as well, but um, I think it's super important to be reasonable and to, if we're going to debate or have a conversation, that I'm not entering that debate being just trying to prove you wrong, but really listen. Right? We're all talking. We're all, but when how many of us are actually listening? We're talking and hearing, but who's actually listening? I found uh, there was a great quote before I end this little part, but I was listening to a hockey podcast of all things yesterday. And they were talking about the radio and um, the broadcaster mentioned, he's like, isn't it interesting that we are in a place now where the only thing that really stands out is silence. And I was like, Oh, like I don't think they meant it to be that deep, but I was like, when you think about it, I was like, it's true. Um, If you're listening to something and it's silent, you lean forward. You're like, Oh, Oh, okay what's happening right there's the pause we're so used to everyone just like like all the time when you hear silence you're like that's the thing that makes you step back and like or lean forward or really start to bring you present in in that moment i find that so interesting and uh you know I, even though i only heard it yesterday now i'm gonna really stop to think about that and uh you know implement implement it in my own life
0: thank you for sharing that what's the last thing that you want to send a message out to all people about masculinity and male expression i want to just bring it back
1: yeah all of this conversation i think points to a a general theme and that's be yourself embrace being yourself the authentic parts to you that bring you happiness and joy do that. That is going to bring you happiness. That's going to bring you fulfillment. That is going to make you feel like you're living a life worth living. Be respectful. Learn empathy. Be empathetic. Listen, but be yourself. That's the most important thing. Everything is really sort of complicated right now. Uh, We need to take time, work on ourselves, do the things that we need to do to get through and survive and able to process everything around us and really that starts with just you know embrace those things and if you see someone who's living very authentically support them if you see someone speaking out about it or speaking up about hey that's wrong or you know I I always go back to the conversation about that the hockey thing in, in a dressing room if one person stands up and says hey that's wrong they'll probably get shut down But if everybody steps up and says, hey, that's wrong, that's where you have a movement. That's where you have cohesiveness, like social sort of, that's where we can start to take things down. So, you know, stand up and say things are wrong and support the people who are standing up and saying things are wrong as well. Those are like some of the most important things to me that I especially want to get across to men because it's really hard to be sort of a man speaking about this idea and everyone's sort of like not listening. So like everyone sort of needs to like, step up and and just support the the things that are pushing society forward.
0: Thank you so much for coming on, Ryan, and sharing with us all of your ideas here.
1: I I appreciate you having me. Thank you.
0: And of course, a disclaimer. This podcast and all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. Go to www.resolve with two Vs to get the support you need. And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course, come check us out at www resolve that's resolve with two vsca to learn more about how our services can support your needs till Til next time, time take, take care. care theme song for this podcast is done by the band mokuse no maguro in their song midnight empty street